2: You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody. Here's what's coming up on The Exchange. Stocks are definitely in wait-and-see mode today as we dive into this critical week for the markets. Big tech on deck with earnings, big data ahead on the economy, and of course, the big Fed decision on interest rates. We'll walk through what to expect, what's priced in, and how to position. Plus, can you hear me now? One of our guests brings three dividend-paying stocks, and one of them is Verizon. He makes his case why now is the right time to buy. And it's not just big tech reporting. We're going to look at the semis, the home builders, even the restaurant trade, with NXP, Pulte, and McDonald's all getting ready to report in the next 24 hours. It's coming up in earnings exchange. But first, we begin with today's markets and Dominic Chu. All right, Kelly, that
3: wait-and-see mode that you talked about at the top of the show right now is pretty much exactly what you're getting right now. It's a mixed market. I use that a little tongue-in-cheek because we are up and down fractionally and have been pretty much all day but not to any dramatic degree. But the reason why there's drama around that is because this could just be that positioning ahead of what should be the busiest week of earnings season and potentially filled with a lot of catalysts that drive the most important stocks in the market. For right now, the Dow Industrial is up about one-quarter of 1%. That's 90 points, 31,989 the last trade there. The S&P is still below 4,000 right now, 39.70, but it's up nine points, a modest one-quarter percent gain there. And then the NASDAQ trade is underperforming, albeit just fractionally to the downside to the tune of one-quarter percent down, 11,810 for the NASDAQ composite, down about 23 points. One key part of the market that has been a focus for a lot of traders out there, no matter what asset class, has been interest rates. Now, the 10-year Treasury note yield is ticking higher today, but it's 2.82 percent. Now, remember at the peak over here on an intraday basis, we got to just around 3.48%, and we are sitting at 281 right now. That was mid-June, and you see the decline here. Would you be surprised if I told you that during that same span between mid-June and now, the NASDAQ 100 ETF is up 10%, so as interest rates have fallen, tech valuations have gotten a little bit higher. We'll see if that dynamic plays out this week with a lot of big tech reports coming out. And speaking of, these five stocks are the ones that could have a massive amount of influence on that market story, Kelly. Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, Meta Platforms, these stocks here are all reporting results at some point this week. They are all down between a half to one and a half percent right now. But this is important, Kelly, because we've re-emphasized this a lot during the course of the last several years. These five stocks in particular make up 21% of the S&P 500 and 40% of the NASDAQ 100. So these stocks go, Kelly, this week with earnings So goes that market. Perhaps I'll send things back. And Dom,
2: everyone seems to be nervous right now. Don't you get that sense? I see stuff about, you know, that we think the market's going to have a bad week and the VIX and Apple's going to miss. And it just it's a very clear uh, sense of nervousness, I think.
3: And and not just that, that nervousness is playing out in the options market right now. We'll have more on this in Power Lunch. But right now, the options market is, is for these five stocks already pricing in a little bit more volatility around some of these earnings reports hmm. to, the, to the tune of maybe a little bit more than we would expect over the last eight quarters. So we'll we'll, we'll touch on that in the 2 o'clock hour, Kelly. Good tease. There Dom. Go. Banks. Right.
2: Big tech earnings, big economic reports, and a big Fed decision. Let's dive in now with Steve Leisman and economist Michelle Girard on the economy and the Fed piece of this. And tech investor Paul Meeks is here with what he expects from big tech and how to trade it. Welcome, everybody. Steve, let's just start with you, a reminder of everything that we're going to be learning this week.
4: Yeah, it is a big week. It's going to provide critical data, Kelly, for the debate over a feared recession on one hand and an economic slowdown on the other, and one where the Fed's going to weigh in with policy and maybe some guidance that could ultimately tip the balance either way. Tuesday, we get new home sales. This has been pretty much on a downward track. 664000 expected, a 4.6% decline. Durable goods estimated down as well. We'll be looking for the business investment side of that thing. Then there's the Fed decision more on that in just a second. Third. Thursday, there's the GDP number up a scant 0.3% with the question whether or not it actually comes in negative for the second quarter in a row. Jobless claims would stick around in that 250 range. And then the Fed's preferred inflation indicator and consumer spending. We'll see if it's a positive inflation adjusted consumer spending number or a negative one with personal income up 0.3%. 5%. Moving along here, the markets are heavily priced for a 75 basis point hike this week, about a 12% chance of 100. But the outlook for Fed futures shows markets think the Fed has more work to do. Raising rates to a peak of 340, 339, call it by January. And then quickly reversing itself, bringing it back down to 285 by year end. That shape has been in there for a long time with the numbers going up and down over time. So it continues to appear that the market is pricing in a recession and a policy reversal to address it. Both the data and the Fed statement and press conference this week should shed light on whether a recession arrives and how much, Kelly, that might change Fed policy.
2: You read my mind. That's exactly the question I'm going to pick up on, Steve. Thank you very much, Steve Leisman, because while this week is key for data in the Fed, the markets are already jumping ahead to what could happen next year and specifically now starting to price in the chance of rate cuts. My next guest is not on board yet, though, saying even if the economy slows or slips into recession, the Fed won't be able to cut rates. Michelle, I see you shaking your head already. Yeah. Michelle Girard is head of U.S. Uh, markets. Uh, U.S., at NatWest Markets, want to get that title in there. So why are you you, you thinking because of inflation they won't be able to do it? That's exactly right,
5: Kelly. I mean, the market is expecting that the economy is going to slow and that will solve all of the inflation problems or at least get the Fed into a position where they will shift their focus from inflation more to to growth. I just don't think the inflation numbers are going to help the Fed out here. We ourselves um, have the inflation forecast at the end of 2023, still at three percent if you exclude food and energy that that's too high, I think. And it's going to make it very difficult for the Fed to be able to shift its focus. I think that's going to be a real surprise for markets, as you said, that are looking for a rate cut. I don't think the Fed's going to be in a position to do that.
2: And and you're saying this acknowledging the slowdown, acknowledging even a possible recession.
5: Yeah. I mean, you know, recession doesn't mean that you aren't going to necessarily have inflation. Of course, that's the worst mix for the Fed, but it's one that we've, you know, we've seen historically and it's going to put the Fed in a very difficult position. Now, of course, the Fed can talk about the fact that looking forward, they think slower growth will help to bring inflation down. But Fed credibility right now is not high in terms of their own inflation forecast. And and the Fed themselves have have really started to look to to basing policy on the actual inflation they're seeing. And again, if the actual inflation numbers have not come down as much as the Fed needs to see, they're not going to be able to reverse course that quickly. The Fed Chair Powell has said that the priority is going to be getting inflation down, even if it means causing some economic pain.
2: Yeah, so... You look at the markets and you say, OK, and, and again, maybe you read everything that I read this weekend, but it was like everywhere I turn, everyone's talking about recession. OK, fine. I, but it's this binary thing where there's this expectation of, well, that's the final verdict that changes everything. And I just wonder where you think I know this isn't you know, your your purview per se, but, you know, let's talk rates, for instance, or the stock market. I mean, if, if they're not... Talking about a macro event that would give the space to cut rates, How, how much might that change the way markets are currently pricing this?
5: Well, it's exactly as Steve pointed out. The markets are looking for rate cuts by the end of next year, and and part of the rally that we've seen in the last few days. I know today yields are up, but last Friday on weak economic data, we saw ten-year yields fall sharply, uh, and and that is on the expectation that the weakness in economic activity will really slow the Fed's ability to to keep raising interest rates or even precipitate a rate cut. It would be a big surprise for the markets if you know you. Get get weaker data, but inflation doesn't come down and it would be it would cause a rethink and I think put upward, clearly upward pressure on market rates yeah. if that whole thinking of, premise about Fed
2: rate cuts it, it you know goes away. Do you think it serves the Fed final question as we look to that language from Powell on Wednesday, which will probably, look, he, he knows the markets, they understand the state of affairs. Do you think he wants to push back against this pricing in of cuts because they would rather see higher Long term rates. I mean, I'm just curious what, you know, sort of the second or third order thinking here.
5: I, I just have to say Kelly I hope the fed gets out of the rate guidance business a bit because yeah. you know the Fed has tried to be transparent it's tried to signal to the markets and guide it to where it wants the markets to be priced but that has come back to bite them and so I suspect that they will not try to be too prescriptive about where rates are headed and again just keep markets focused on the fact that the Fed is going to respond as the economic data and the inflation data warrant and I think they're going to really work I think they're going Going to try, at least we hope they will, to actually not try to do as much in terms of guiding rates because that is just that's just not worked in their favor, obviously, in the last several meetings.
2: It's fascinating, Michelle. Thanks for bringing us this point of view today. We appreciate thanks, it, Michelle Gerard. Let's turn now to big tech earnings. That's also taking place this week. And Paul Meeks is portfolio manager at Independent Wealth Solutions Management. Paul, it's good to see you. And uh, kind of in keeping with what I was bantering with Dom about a moment ago, you're bearish on the whole group. Why?
6: Well I'm not. Long term bearish. But I still think it's too early to go in and bottom fish because here's the deal. Yes we've seen these stocks come down significantly. But so far really only through a compression of valuation multiples. And we haven't seen these. At least until the last couple of weeks where the early reporters acknowledge a recession that we may be in or we uh, will be in one soon. I need to see the companies come out, assume that uh, we're in a recession, lower their numbers uh, in line with that, and then we have lower valuation multiple, lower
2: I always like to give him a beat just to see if he'll come back. But I take his point that so far this has been a valuation reset instead of a reset of earnings and fundamentals. That's why Paul was saying he'd like to see some of these CEOs go ahead and kitchen sink it. Uh, Paul, you want to try just one more time to follow up on that if you're back?
6: Sure. I think that uh, the company should take the opportunity to lower their numbers. And when they do that, they have a free pass. Nobody's going to blame them. We're in a recessionary environment. Uh, we get a chance to take lower multiples with lower forecasts, get these stocks down to trough levels, and then I can go in and do some work. I do not want to buy even relatively cheap stocks when there are further estimates cut to come. And if we don't get it out of the way this quarter, it'll be the next quarter or the quarter after that. Let's rip off the band-aid and get at, get after it.
2: Yeah, and like you said as someone who's kind of long-term bullish, you're not saying that, you know, these businesses are over and that, you know, Apple isn't worth maybe 150 a share, but get through the bad news, uh, reset the deck so to speak. Paul, we'll leave it there. Thanks for your time today. Paul Meeks, Thank you. joining us on Big Tech. Let's turn now to some breaking news out of the energy complex. Nat gas prices are near session highs as Russia's Gazprom plans to cut Europe's gas flow to just 20% via that crucial Nord Stream 1 pipeline. Brian Sullivan may be back from Germany, but he has a clearer sense than ever of what this is all going to mean, Brian?
7: Yeah, Kelly, and it's not good news. I mean, we wish you had better news to report on a Monday. Obviously, the good news was last week was that the Nord Stream restarted up at all. But now that news you just reported is that Gazprom is saying it's going to cut those flows by 50% starting on Wednesday. Remember, it restarted at 40% of total capacity. Gazprom saying because of a turbine issue, same thing that we've talked about, it's going to bring those down to 20%, so a 50% reduction from already reduced levels. Now, this turbine thing is what Vladimir Putin and Gazprom are using. But if you talk to Nord Stream, if you talk to uh, many people at Siemens that understand this, they will tell you that there's always a backup turbine available, that this turbine availability and maintenance issue, Kelly, maybe, I think, in technical parlance, bunk. Either way, you can see that gas prices both in the United States and in Europe are on the rise again. And as of Wednesday, Gazprom, it looks like it's going to take down those gas, those gas flows into Germany by 50%. That is going to severely damage Germany's ability to get that storage level up to where it needs to be ahead of the winter and possibly could lead to gas rationing, as we talked about.
2: Right, this time forced. They've said 15% would get us through the winter. And basically, if you don't do it, we're going to have to force you. But this hasn't been agreed to, has it yet? I thought that was maybe this week that they wanted all of the EC members to agree on kind of this joint move on energy. And and we've already seen some fracturing where certain countries are saying, Germany, you chose this energy policy, you got us into this mess, and we don't want to do it.
7: That's it. I mean, and Spain came out and kind of said as much. I mean, they're using more political diplomatic language, Kelly, but they're basically saying, to your point, this is your problem. You deal with it. We're not going to ration gas or our economy because of problems that you made. This is what's going to be interesting. We're seeing sort of the far right in France start to rustle around, make noise about Germany's problem as well. If they get, Even if they pass this proposal for these voluntary 15% cuts, Will the countries do it? If so, how do they do it? As our steel mill that we were at, the guy we're talking to that runs it said, are they going to go business by business and say, yes, no, yes, no? What if they kill one of our suppliers? They let us stay open, but our supply chain or trucking company are shut down, then we're effectively shut down. Nobody knows how the mechanism may actually work. They're also going for a potential mandatory mechanism, Kelly. And if we get to that point, I want to make this point crystal clear. If you say I'm rationing energy, you are saying we are rationing the economy. In many ways, the economy is simply just turning energy into productivity. You can't can't ration gas and not effectively say we're going to take a hammer to the knee of the German or EU economy.
2: Say that again, Brian. It's turning, turning energy into productivity. I love the way you put that.
7: Yeah. The, the, I mean, the economy in many ways is just turning energy into productivity. You, yeah. you use energy to make stuff, drive stuff, travel stuff, whatever it is. Energy is the economy. You can't take 15 percent of energy offline and expect to have a similar economy. The question is how, how much of an economic hit might that be? Right. How much will this impact German GDP? And, you know, will that be a steep and deep recession?
2: Right. And we've seen, I have saw, you know, estimates of, OK, we're going to tr- trim growth by half a point to a point. I, I hope that that's it, because what we're potentially looking at would be a much larger hit than that. Brian, we'll leave it there. Thank you, Brian Sullivan on energy. We appreciate it. Coming up, volatile and directionless. <laughs> it's kind of how my weekend felt. Uh, but that's how my next guest is describing this market environment. He still sees some opportunities in stocks, though, and we will get his picks next. Plus, NXP, Pulte, and McDonald's are set to report their results. We'll give you the numbers and narratives to know ahead on earnings exchange. And as we head to break, let's get a quick check on stocks, where we see the Dow now up about 100 points, building on a stronger gain. Small caps up two-thirds of a percent today. The Nasdaq. Down a quarter percent, though, and the 10 year yield is back down to 281. We're back in a moment.
8: People today can spend half their lives over 50, so it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org/moneytools.
9: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
2: Welcome back, everybody. It's a mixed day for trading as we kick off the busiest week of earnings season and await the Fed decision on Wednesday. The major averages remain on pace for their biggest monthly gains of the year, but that's not saying much. They're coming off their worst first half since 1970. And my next guest, warns stocks are still volatile and directionless and says stay defensive. Let's welcome back David Bonson. He's the founder and chief investment officer at the Bonson Group. And David, I always think of you as someone very long term sanguine on the market. So what are you kind of bracing for here?
10: Yeah, that advice about uh, being defensive is kind of permanent advice, right? We always sort of lean into higher quality, but we do have a longer term perspective there. But we always like the types of companies that we're talking about that are dividend growers, good free cash flow generators, better balance sheets, which means they can kind of withstand longer periods of difficulty. And frankly, are the types of things that for the most part have done a lot better this year.
2: You like Verizon. And I know some people who hate that stock after last week now.
10: Well, that's why I like it, because of the people you know who hate it. <laughs> it is a pure contrarian play here. Eight and a half times earnings, a five and a half percent dividend yield that is not compromised and not in jeopardy. And so the reason Verizon is down is because they are in a difficult period. It's not for no reason. This isn't a steal. The company could stay in a struggling period for a while. And yet that's what we like to buy are companies that we have no doubt have a way out of these tough periods that have the cash, have the balance sheet, have the strategy to go forward, but are just out of favor, as you say, people that hate it right now. But that is priced in. That's what an eight-and-a-half-time multiple tells you. And we think investors are going to get paid if they patiently wait through this and get those dividends along the way.
2: I think if I were to put it sort of more um, cosmically, they're mad at Verizon because they say, I was in this for the dividend. And now in one week, you've wiped out all of my returns and why did I bother and, and what's the point? And can I trust these names? Can I trust Verizon? OK, they can maybe even take a bad week and say, but can I trust it in the longer run or some of your other dividend yielders here, some peers that Verizon would have? What would you say to those investors who now feel a little rudderless?
10: Yeah, the idea about the stock price uh, wiping away the dividend really misses the point of being a dividend investor. It did not wipe away the dividend. People got the dividend or they got more shares at lower prices. That compounding effect is actually very valuable. Hmm. And the fact of the matter is, is that unless they're needing to sell the stock because they have to go buy a boat or pay bills or something, the reality is that by holding the stock, the dividend itself tells you what the long-term direction is. But see, we don't look at it as a stock. We want to look at it as a company. And companies have up and down periods of time. The dividend is the management respecting the shareholder along the way through difficulty. But I got to say, I agree that people are looking at this saying there's secular challenges. Why trust a company like Verizon versus an AT&T? AT&T levered themselves up beyond that of most countries. Hmm. The Time Warner acquisition was a debacle. M&A is management saying they don't know what to do. Verizon resisted the temptation to go into the celebrity content game. So they've been more faithful. They're in a tough business, and it's very capex sensitive. So that's going to hurt Verizon for a while. But they have not been untrustworthy the way AT and is, and AT and ultimately cut that dividend. Verizon's dividend sustainability is why people should trust it. That was a gr- that was a stirring defense. I would like you to be my
2: defense lawyer. I think someday. So what are then so a couple of other names or or areas or final pieces of advice that you w- would leave people with if they listen to that and say, okay. I'm on board, what do I do now?
10: Okay, so another company that people really didn't trust for a long time was Blackstone, and it's an asset manager. They are really involved in private equity, hedge funds, real estate, and that stock was around $30 for a long time, but paying an 8% dividend yield while people were waiting and waiting. The stock finally came all the way up into the 130, 140 range and really executed great. People on Wall Street finally saw what this company was about. Well, it's back down to 96 right now. They are kind of guiding lower. I believe it's a fee-based business that has $170 billion of investor money in cash to go out and invest if we do have a recession. And I think a company like Blackstone has earned people's trust, and you're getting paid a great dividend while you wait. Wow,
2: over 5%, 5 5.3 right now. Fascinating. David, thank you so much for all your time today. We appreciate it. Thanks, Kelly. David Bonson. Still ahead, the solar companies are also set to report earnings this week, and their stocks have held up pretty well this month. But are they a buy ahead of results or not? Plus, we talk a lot about the future of work post-pandemic. What about the future of vacation? We're going to look at how executives are managing time off and what it means for the bottom line. The exchange is back in a couple. Welcome back to The Exchange. Dow was down 40 points. It's been up 130. We're currently up 79. S&P up 5. The Nasdaq's still down a third of 1%, though, into big tech earnings. The housing stocks are also underperforming today, like TriPoint, and Decor, Toll Brothers, Pulte, DR Horton. Uh, that's all weighing on the XHB ETF. But some of these names are actually up big in July. Components like Williams-Sonoma up 22%, having its best month since last August, Floor and Decor up 18% for its best month since May of 2020. Let's get to Seema Modi now for a CNBC News update. Seema? Kelly, thank you. Here's what's
12: happening at this hour. Police in Dallas now say an airport terminal at Lovefield is secure after a 37-year-old woman took out a gun and started shooting at the ceiling. A police officer then shot her. She has been taken to a hospital, condition unknown. No one else was hurt. Flights at the airport have been halted. Pope Francis has arrived at the site of what was once an Indian residential school in Alberta, Canada. He has just apologized for the Catholic Church's role in Canada's longtime policy of forcing Native children to attend the Christian boarding schools. The Canadian government has admitted that physical and sexual abuse was widespread at the schools, which operated from the 1800s to the 1970s. West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin is isolating after testing positive for COVID. He tweeted that he has mild symptoms, is fully vaccinated and boosted, and will continue to work remotely. His absence may complicate his efforts to pass bills in the evenly divided Senate before it starts its summer recess. And in the last few minutes, Alaska Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski's official Twitter account said she too has tested positive. Tonight on the news, why more people are saying they plan to take shorter vacations. That's at 7 p.m. Eastern.
2: Kelly, for now, back to you. We'll have more on that in a moment, Seema <laughs> Banks. Still ahead, supply chain, labor pain, and rising interest rates. Just some of the challenges these three companies have to navigate. We'll get you set up for NXP, Pulte, and McDonald's next in Earnings Exchange. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. We're kicking off the busiest week of this earnings season. We've got a third of the S&P, 40% of the Dow reporting, all five mega cap tech names. We've got the action, the story, and the trade on three companies that kick off this critical week, all reporting in the next 24 hours. After the bell today, the first up, NXPI, NXP Semiconductors. The shares are down 24% this year, but... They're up 17% in July. It's the second best performer in the SMH. About half of its revenues come from automotive. That's been a tough area, as we know. The street also looking for numbers and guidance on mobile demand. Christina Parsons-Evelis brings us the story today. And Delano Zapporo has our trades. He is founder and CEO of New Street Advisors and a CNBC contributor. Welcome to you both. Christina, a big one after some mixed signals from the other parts of the semi-space lately.
13: Well, oh, it's uh, mixed signals across the board because we're expecting, expecting uh, you know, supply chains to ease and then as well, muted demand. So across the board, you are starting to see that repricing. You're starting to see some expectations lowered. But for NXP, you mentioned a key point, about 50% of its revenues come from the auto sector. Sounds like good news, especially as uh, maybe some of these supply chain problems are easing. Even Volvo CEO said that have they have all of their semiconductors in order. But there is an issue, the strength is expected to come from EVs, and unfortunately, NXP is underexposed to EVs, according to uh, Piper Sandler, uh, analysts, and two other points, too, I just want to focus on, you have the China COVID lockdowns that are still in play, and then the second problem is whether there's going to be a inventory correction. Has there, you know, inventory uh, been relatively bloated? Has there been double ordering as well? And so what does this mean for NXP's guidance going forward? Stock is expected to hit, what, $3.35 EPS earnings per share on revenue of $3.26 billion. It's having its best month right now since June 2020. And it's been a sleepy
2: mover the last four quarters with about 1% moves, but options are saying maybe 7%. Delano, what would you do with the stock here?
1: Hi, Kelly. Um, this will be a hold for me. I think some of the things that Christina mentioned were, were very valid, especially when you look at the auto sector. And I think one thing, if you look deeper into the auto sector, out to the consumer, um, we're seeing some cracks in auto, in auto con- demand, right? Delinquencies are starting to pop up, and that's going to be an issue for them as they obviously have a large part of their revenue share um, towards um, automotive. And of course, we still have supply chain issues. We're still in that raising rate environment, which has obviously hampered a lot of growth stocks. But The rumor about the Samsung deal was something that's helped them rebound a little bit over the past month or so. Um, So I think there's still growth issues near term. Um, But I would be holding on because I think you'll get through that in 2023, 2024.
2: All right. We'll move along then, Christina. Thank you to Pulte Group, the home builder, down 20% this year as mortgage rates double. But shares are up 13% in July alone, kind of a similar trading story as NXPI. The builders continue to report strong demand and a slowly clearing backlog. Diana Oleg has the story for us. Diana?
0: Well, Kelly, as you obviously know, because we talk about it all the time, June was the real turnaround, that big U-turn in the red-hot housing market. So I'm looking less at the top and bottom line numbers, because they're likely to be very strong from Pulte. More, I want to see the cancellation rate, which we saw Dr. Horton last week report, really jumped up. And I'm also interested in looking at any guidance that might change going forward, because this is the real change in the market. Anything on pricing as well, because mortgage rates did pop up pretty significantly in June after rising steadily from January again twice that they were in January and also we saw builder sentiment really plunge historically in July so that's what we're looking for going forward on this stuff because for the builders it's all going to be about that outlook ahead especially when we look at potential supply chain easing we're starting to hear murmurs of that does that mean that they're able to build these homes faster and have much bigger backlog if they're not able to sell them now we get sales tomorrow as well. So that'll play into that. But again, for Pulte, it's really what the outlook is ahead rather than what's behind. Kelly. Four
2: times forward PE, Delano, I've been drooling over these home builder P.E.s, but I noticed that Carterworth this morning, who had been bullish as a pair trade, I think, on the builders for the past uh, couple, several weeks, is now saying maybe take your money and run. What do you say?
1: Yeah, sorry about that. I would agree with Carter on that. I think obviously the, the value is, is pretty strong. You have incredible OPs, but I think it's before reason as the p- picture is getting less, less rosy if you go out. We just mentioned the rates going up about almost 3%. That's going to hit. People that are potentially using cash flow, uh, usually real estate as a cash flow um, option as well. Um, so, if you look at it in the near term, a couple of things pop out. Affordability is obviously pl- going the wrong direction for for everyone out there. There's more cracks in the housing market. If you take a negative turn on um, housing starts. So, you know, looking at the cancellation rate, I think is actually really really important because. We're getting to the peak has already happened. And I think we're going the opposite direction in these whole bills. And I think the market's priced a lot of that in for, for a good reason.
2: All right, Diana, thank you. Our <laughs> Diana Oleg. Let's move along to McDonald's now. The Dow component down about 6% this year as they navigate the labor shortage, higher food costs, unionization efforts. Big, All their franchisees were unhappy last week. Kate Rogers has the story. There has not been a lot of positive headlines for Kate uh, for McDonald's, Kate.
11: Well, we'll see what happens uh, tomorrow morning. But so far, analysts are expecting EPS of $2.47, Kelly, on revenues of $5.8 billion. Same-store sales projected to increase 6.2% overall, 2.8% here in the U.S. And remember, the U.S. number is always key as we're watching to see how consumers are reacting to gas prices and inflation in general, and if they've pulled back at all. Last quarter, McDonald's executives did mention some customers kind of looking for lower price point items, but said that they were still ordering via delivery, which is much more expensive than going through the drive-thru or in-store. Grocery inflation, remember, continues to outpace restaurant inflation, which is beneficial to companies like McDonald's in a recession. FX headwinds also will be in focus. The company already warned there will be a drag of about 8 to 10 cents on EPS. Some analysts at Cowan and BTIG are now projecting that could be even higher. The Russian business has been uh, sold off, so an update on that will be key as well. And as you mentioned, finally, any mention of franchisee tensions over changes to lease terms and the restaurant grading systems that we've been reporting on will also be of note on that analyst
2: call. All right, Delana, you've been kind of neutral on NXP bearish on uh, on pulte or the builders but on mcdonald's it sounds like you're a little bit more bullish is that right
1: yes definitely one that we hold they definitely still a hold or buy people that are looking for opportunities. in a, a stock that's been, you know, you can't really get close to recession proof, but you're getting close to the recession proof there. I um, was just mentioned when you're talking about predictable revenues. A lot of their business is obviously the franchisee model, which is predictable for, for Wall Street to predict. Cash flow, they've been doing great when it comes to the margin and cash flow generation, which has obviously been an b- ability for them to, one, buy back stock and also increase uh, their dividend payout ratio, of course, as well. So I think for investors, if you look at the five, 10-year chart of McDonald's, Outside of the height of COVID, it's been a steady uptrend um, for investors to get a you know a steady booth in capital appreciation and obviously get dividend cash flow. Um, and so I think this is a great stock for people to be in um, if they're looking for that kind of you know predictable revenues um, and strong capital appreciation. Kelly,
2: well, I'm going to leave it there. But Delano, we just kind of doing a straw poll here. Are you overall nervous into this uh, this week, this earnings season, this market, like everybody else?
1: I would say, yeah, I think, you know, if we don't get, you know, solid numbers on the back of, you know, one, you know, easier projections. Then we're gonna, you know, potentially be in for another downtrend. Yeah. Um, we saw decent numbers last week from some of the banks, and and I think that helped pull us forward for the market. But it's definitely still shaky grounds, Kelly.
2: All right, Delano, thanks for your time today, Delano Saporio. Kate Rogers, thank you for uh, giving us a preview of McDonald's as well. Still ahead, summer is in full swing, and new research shows time out of the office is good for employees, for executives. Why Americans need to get out of the office is next. Welcome back. Research shows that unplugging and taking paid time off can help prevent burnout. But a new survey finds, maybe no surprise, the majority of American professionals plan to take less or shorter vacations this year. Sharon Epperson talked to some executives about how they manage their own vacation time and their employees' time off. Sharon?
9: Well, Kelly, you know, sometimes vacation isn't all that restful. That's when the emails and the Slack messages, they just keep coming in. A few companies, though, are offering a new perk to fight burnout and to give employees a real break from work. Company-wide holidays when everyone is off at the same time. Preeti Joshi is back from a company-wide week-long holiday at Bumble. But like many professionals, she didn't completely disconnect.
14: I also very tactically think about doing a few things when I'm on vacation to kind of help me unplug and also kind of stay plugged in at the same time. A vice president for the
9: dating app platform, she spent that time off with her husband and new baby. When I'm away,
14: I feel like not only am I, you know, refilling my proverbial glass, right? I kind of am able to get re-energized and just, feel ready to tackle whatever problem, question, challenge we may be facing that week.
9: The idea of a company-wide vacation is slowly starting to catch on. Tim Ryan leads PwC's 60,000 U.S. employees. The consulting firm has two company-wide, week-long breaks each year. Do you see, um, as a leader, a difference in the productivity of your staff when they come back?
7: It's hard for me to measure and say, we've got an increase in productivity since we came back, but qualitatively, Sharon, the energy in the place is just incredible. The energy and, and the enthusiasm is amazing and that, that translates to my mind to productivity and happier clients at the end of the day.
9: Companies are trying new strategies because their employees are stressed out and burned out, and they're taking less time off. A recent Corn Ferry survey found 63% of professionals say they will be taking a shorter vacation this year. say being away from the office stresses them out more now than in the past. Disabling notifications and checking in while she's off helps
14: Joshi manage her stress. For five or ten minutes in the morning every day when my daughter's napping, for example, I'll just do a quick scan of my email. I think it's important for me from a kind of recharge and restorative standpoint to just know what's going on in the background.
9: Many companies understand the importance of time away, but not everyone gets a break. According to the Center for Economic Policy Research, workers in countries in the European Union are guaranteed at least 20 paid vacation days a year. Yet nearly a quarter of American workers don't get any paid vacation time at all, Kelly.
2: There's an insight here, which is that when just one person is gone, we still check because you don't want to come back to the office and have to spend an entire day answering emails and, and dealing with that. So if the whole company is shut down, there's less to worry about at the in the background. Do they charge yeah. you for like taking your vacation days or does that not count it's against them? It's separate from
9: your vacation days and you bring up a really good point that Tim Ryan said of why he put it on LinkedIn and there are over 3000 people interacting with him about him saying he's doing this and what exactly he was going to do on vacation. Set the tone, let people know I'm taking this time off if it's from the top and he's taking time off, then I should be able to take time off. And then it really gives people more of a comfort level. You gotta have the skeleton crew there, you gotta have some people checking in every now and then. But it gives people the idea that they can take a break. Yeah. Which a lot of times a lot of us don't feel like
2: we can do it nationwide. A lot of people shut down the week after Christmas already. I was thinking now with Juneteenth into July fourth, you're noticing that becoming kind of like a mega holiday. Yeah. Just saying.
9: There might be more people doing it. Yeah. Especially if it doesn't cut into your already planned already trips. allotted paid vacation. Time. Exactly. Yeah. Sharon,
2: thank you. Sure. Really. Th- <laughs> thank you, Sharon Epperson. Coming up, muni bonds have had a rough year with the worst quarterly return in four decades. But with rates sagging lower now is the worst over. We will discuss after this quick break. Welcome back to The Exchange. The muni market is supposed to be a pretty sleepy place, but instead it's had a pretty terrible start to the year. The MUB ETF, which tracks the S&P muni bond index, sliding about 8% through the end of June. The first quarter saw the worst quarterly returns in 40 years, prompting more than $75 billion of outflows from the space, according to Morningstar. But my next guest says the worst might be over. Joining us now is Nisha Patel. She's managing director of SMA portfolio management at Parametric. Nisha, it's good to see you again. And what are clients doing?
15: Yeah. So look, I, I think the bad news is and the painful part for investors is is obviously the huge surge in yields and negative returns, as you mentioned, the worst start for fixed income, for many fixed income markets, and particularly for munis. And because munis are primarily owned by individuals, uh, when you do see a significant upward move in yields, uh, you do see panic and you see kind of forced selling where munis have underperformed, uh, let's say, other asset classes, even when, when rates started to stabilize. So what that creates is an incredible opportunity uh, for investors to now invest at high tax-free yields, right? So in the short end of the curve, incredible amount of tax-free yield that clients are able to capture as well in the long end. And this is something that we haven't seen uh, since kind of 2009 and 2010. So the good news is, is that so far this month, Uh, The broad kind of Bloomberg Muni index is showing uh, posting positive returns of almost 2%. And again, that's telling um, of some of those outflows certainly abating and and more interest kind of coming in as investors are seeing value here.
2: I mean, and it is weird to have the Muni bonds kind of trading it um, in parity or in line with Treasury bonds, right? Because you think, okay, well, if they're both going to offer the same yield, I'll take the one with the better tax advantages. So it seemed like that moment told us that okay maybe now this asset class has gotten too cheap i don't know
15: yes and that and that's exactly right and the main thing here also to point out uh unlike possibly other sell-off periods you could not have a stronger uh credit story right from a fundamental standpoint so this was not by any means credit related purely had to do with with kind of the the significant rate move uh that fixed income markets have seen so credit fundamentals still look extremely strong Uh, And we would even say stronger than, you know, municipalities went into kind of the 2008 uh, timeframe. So if we do see weaker growth, if we do uh, kind of see a recessionary downturn here, we think credit fundamentals are very strong. And so today, um, you know, valuations, again, in the 10 to 20 year part of the curve, I think are, are optimal. And again, because rising rates were a worry for quite some time, investors typically, and retail investors have shied away from the longer end. So when you take a look at valuations today, Uh, On a tax equivalent yield basis, investors can lock in north of 6 percent in the 15 to 20 year part of the curve. Um, So certainly, you know, a great opportunity, we think, to leg in here in this market.
2: Yeah. And so we look at, you know, like you said, the fundamentals being strong. Obviously, a lot of states uh, are dealing with excess stimulus funds and things like that right now. But what about if we're heading into a bigger economic slowdown?
15: Yeah, so I, I think when you when you look at it, uh, particularly in investment grade munis uh, and high yield munis uh, as well, obviously you're going to see kind of that that repercussion of a slowdown, weaker growth period first start to show there. But even in the high yield space, given that today's kind of baseline of defaults is still very low, um, again, credit fundamentals still even in the high yield space are fairly strong, um, we don't see the default rate taking up significantly. And for, again, municipal credits, and especially across states and cities, almost $2 trillion of aid have have gone out to municipalities right over the past two years as part of federal stimulus uh, kind of plans. So you know, state revenues have come in far higher than expected. Many cities and, and uh, states are sitting on surpluses. So again, I think they're much better positioned today uh, than they have before. Now that's not to say you know credit monitoring uh, isn't going to be important. I think right. professional management, you know, in municipal bond portfolios uh, is going to be very uh, important. And one last thing to add, you know, our clients, uh, you had asked earlier, what are they taking advantage of uh, at parametric in our municipal c- portfolios? We are. Are tax loss harvesting, right? So kind of uh, making lemon, lemonade sure. out of lemons, if you will, um, and that's been an incredible opportunity that you know we're able to do throughout the year, and we're not waiting just for the end of the year to kind of take those losses. No, that's a great point, Nisha. Thank you. Appreciate the update. Thank you,
2: Nisha Patel with Parametric. Still ahead, this ETF climbing about twelve percent over the past three months is that a good harbinger into earnings, or a sign expectations are too high? It's next on the exchange. Welcome back. One more thing before we go. It's about earnings, of course. And this time it's about the solar stocks, which have had a pretty good run over the past three months with a 14% gain for the TAN ETF. That was our tease into the break. Major players like Enphase and First Solar will report their results this week. Pippa Stevens is here with what's top of mind for investors
14: and the street. Pippa? Hey, Kelly. Well, solar stocks have gotten a boost in the last few months. But still in the red for 2022, and many names are sharply below their recent highs. And so with earnings on deck, there are a couple of key things to watch. Number one is inflationary pressures. This has been a key concern for the group amid a spike in raw material costs. Now, recently, we've seen copper, steel and aluminum pull back, which is good for the industry. However, polysilicon, which is critical for panels, remains elevated. Number two is pricing power. Since costs are rising across the board, companies' ability to pass those along to customers without sacrificing volume is important. So in other words, are companies maintaining their margins? And finally, commentary around the broader energy complex. Europe is trying to reconfigure its energy system while in the US we're suffering from record temperatures and spiking energy costs. This in theory helps clean energy. So on a stock-specific level, Goldman favors Enphase and SolarEdge, which it says can beat and raise this quarter. This quarter. The firm also likes Sunrun. Meantime, Piper Sandler last week downgraded Sunrun and Sonova to neutral. It favors Enphase and SolarEdge, as well as First Solar. So some different opinions here, Kelly.
2: Pippa, we know that EV sales have gotten a boost from the high cost of gas. I had a friend over this weekend who was bragging about hers, and it was a month's long wait uh, just to get it. What do we know about the extent to which high prices have caused if they have a boom in solar installations?
14: Well, we are seeing record demand. But then, of course, the flip side of that is, can the supply keep up? And so companies have said the longer utility rates remain high, the more attractive is their proposition. And, you know, PG&E out in California, they're raising prices by 20 percent this year. And so that has real, real consequences for customers across the board. And so then it makes the the longer term case for solar more attractive. And actually, a website solarreviews.org, they saw more than a thousand percent increase in searches over the past month around whether or not, you know, if you have solar and storage, how you can survive a power outage. So it really doesn't mean that's only one data point, but it really does show that there is growing customer interest with all these blackouts that are happening, as well as spiking utility rates.
2: Yeah, no, and as I've said before, we've looked into it, felt like it wasn't quite ready for prime time, but with every passing year, maybe we're getting closer. Uh, Pippa, thank you very much, our Pippa Stevens. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place.
8: People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Jenny!